You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, this is number five of six I Am Sayings of Jesus chapels. A kudos to student life on a good theme, and I hope that y'all have profited from this series this year. Hear today's passage again, this time embellished. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is the way. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have actually told you that? Of course not. This is truth. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is life. And you know where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. The effect of what Jesus says about himself and the Father is that we are one. Homoousios, the Council of Nicaea would later say, same substance. When you get one, you get the other. Here's the passage for you in kind of story backdrop context. A shadow looms over the disciples as Jesus provides final instructions at the Last Supper. We know that later that night, he will be arrested. One disciple will betray him. Eleven disciples will flee. He will see a trial that mocks him, beats him, keeps him up for much of the night. The next day he will carry his cross to Calvary as far as he can. He will be crucified. He will be deposed from the cross, wrapped in a shroud, and placed in a tomb that is sealed shut. How can he be the way, the truth, and the life in this narrative? The disciples, meanwhile, seem to sense that there is something grand at work, their arrival in Jerusalem, but this shadow is looming over it all. Jesus, in John's Gospel, had been using words like life and light as part of his teaching. Jesus had been pointing to God, certainly consistently. Those that believe in God, in John's Gospel, belief being yet another theme, they receive the power to be called the children of God. The way, the truth, and the life. These themes are deep in the gospel record of Jesus. So simply know that this I am saying fits quite nicely with the other I am sayings that you see in John. 
And so it was that one disciple asked Jesus to where he is leaving, receiving this declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This identity statement by Jesus, about Jesus, seems to confuse the disciples even further that night. Thomas does seem genuine, and he seems humble when he says, not on our GPS, Lord. We were in Galilee before we landed in Jerusalem. Now, where are we going next? Is he saying that he's leaving us and we're supposed to follow him or what? There it does seem to be a little bit of a lessons in missing the point here. However, Jesus does not seem to be weary of the disciples. He answers them. He guides them. He coaches them. He instructs them. He encourages them. And when he does that night in the upper room, his identity statement sets all Christ followers on the journey of discipleship, orienting and guiding them for life, ministry, and heaven. That's the Jesus of the I Am sayings in Asbury chapels. There's a little more to unpack here about Jesus himself. I'd like to direct your thoughts towards heaven as uh, we do this and also include two stories for you today. First, from the passage, Rodney Whitaker says about John 14, 6, always in John, the clue to Jesus' cryptic sayings is his own identity and his relationship to the Father. And this passage, Whitaker says, is no exception. This I am saying, I quote, is grounded in Jesus' divine identity and expresses something about salvation for us. Throughout the gospel, Jesus speaks of coming from and going to the Father. He comes from there. He reveals to the world. He brings new life to all who are willing. And then he returns to the Father. All the time, the discipleship focus is on how to get to God, how to know him, how to arrive even heaven-bound. You are being led to a place called heaven, Jesus is saying in the upper room, where the future lies. Our time together is ending, but our time together is eternal. This is the way. Secondly, truth and life correspond to Jesus' role as revealer and as life giver. Yet we realize that Jesus here isn't just a road sign, an arrow, a spiritual GPS, although he is God. I am, he says. He is the end point. Being like him is our destiny. He was holy, so now we can be holy. He is truth. He is life. Thirdly, there is an exclusivity here, as unpopular as that might be, that Jesus, not other means, is the way to God. The narrowness that he offers here is the true path to something, of course, wonderful, we believe. 
Nonetheless, alternative paths don't work. That something to be achieved is the fullness of life. Uh, he expressed it in John 10, 10 this way, I came that they may have life and that they might have it abundantly. And as F.F. Bruce points out, this narrowness, this exclusion of other ways is in fact a wonderful inclusivity. Because in John chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is the light that enlightens all humankind. And we saw that as many as believed, regardless, could be believers, regardless of everything, including even sinner status, there is an invitation, an invitation to enrollment. There is a direct, a narrow, a special, a mysterious, a certain means to something great, something wonderful. In Jesus alone, there is truly life. It is found nowhere else. And to all would-be disciples, come and get it, Jesus invites. To those who are lost, there is direction. For those who are hopeless, there is hope. For those who are empty, there is filling. Here's one for college students in a tumultuous world at the end of an academic year. For those who are weary, there is rest. The profundity, yet the simplicity of these words typify what John Wesley says about religion, all religions, but especially Christianity. It can be intricate. It can be complex. It can be hard to understand. It can be confusing. Yet Wesley insists, I quote, it is exactly suited to the simple understanding and the narrow capacity of people in their present state, both in their end purposes and their means, Wesley says. The end is, in one word, salvation. And the means to attain it, faith. These two little words, I mean faith and salvation, include the whole story of Scripture. And so, John 14, 6, all of Jesus' teachings and his healing and his love come to this. I've been showing you the way. The way is being made more clear. The way lies before you. It is true, not false. It gives life, not depression, not anxiety, not death. There are many illustrations, I think, to be given from John 14, 6. Uh, here is one. It illustrates uh, for us, I think, the way, the truth, and the life, and how this can become mixed up and messy. In recent years, I've been segmenting the Appalachian Trail, the way from Georgia to Maine. I think in order to complete it all, I'm going to need a Benjamin Buttons kind of thing. Uh, but nonetheless, it's been good for now. Last segment hiking between Highway 624 and Trouts Creek in Virginia. Uh, my aunt and dad dropped me off at one end and my car was parked at the other end. I think it was 16 miles, which, you know, is not bad because I've hiked before. Uh, I climbed to the Dragon's Tooth uh, on a hot, sunny morning. A steep climb, but experienced and proud I had been on that small segment before. I knew the way. But I guess that sunny hot was more draining than the 
age 29 plus of me realized. So about mile seven, two things happened. One, my right calf tightened up. That's odd, I thought. This has never happened before. So I stretched it and I drank electrolytes to refresh and I ate a banana and continued. Secondly, I encountered what experts say is the most dangerous thing on the Appalachian Trail. It is not a bear. It is not a snake. It is a local stranger who seems a little friendly. Uh, As I crossed this gravel road on the trail, uh, this person turned their motorcycle around and came back to me. And with a friendly greeting, he asked uh, where I started from and where I was going. Standard trail talk. He asked if I needed anything, and I declined. You know, kind of standard trail talk. He invited me to come to his cabin for refreshment, uh, which I declined. Not standard trail talk at all. I got nine more miles to go, see ya. And I began to ascend up two miles of hill really fast to enter into the national forest with no side trails and no cell service. As I did, these two things on my way continued. First, my mind began to race my imagination on how this strange stranger knew where I was going. And perhaps he knew the trail so well as a local, he knew exactly where I'd be at any given time. Perhaps he had two friends with motorcycles equipped for trail riding. I began to hike faster, like really fast. Second, my left calf tightened up. And I nursed it and I hiked ahead. And then my right thigh tightened up. And so trying to nurse them both, my other calf tightened up again, and then my hip tightened up. And then while wanting to run from this imaginary threat of motorcycle maniacs, I laid on the trail in the wilderness with these zombie twists, trying to get into that one position where none of them uh, was wrenching with pain. I had to yield. And as I heard the sound of motorcycles, (laughs) just kidding. I hiked back down and I called what's essentially an AT Uber uh, where somebody comes and picks you up and I got a ride to my car and lived happily ever after. Uh, But this really illustrates how the way and in fact a, a need for truth and life, of course, can be messy. We are proud, but the journey humbles. Lies infiltrate our minds on the journey to interfere with what is truth, including even a denial of our own humanity. Life teeters as we seek comfort, security, and even meaning in our life. In the fourth century, Hillary on the Trinity seems to speak to this very sentiment. I quote, he who is the way does not lead us into bypaths and trackless waters. He who is truth does not mock us with lies. He who is the life does not betray us into delusions, which are death. He himself has chosen these winning names, way, truth, and life, to indicate the methods by which he has appointed for our salvation. Now, one of the things we do in theology, especially historical theology, is to consider how the church throughout time has interpreted particular passages 
Here are some encouraging words from the past, the early church around 14.6. Let it be an encouragement to you. In the third century, Cyril of Alexandria wrote, Christ has pointed out to us the way that anyone might safely take that would lead to a life of incredible virtue and to a highly motivated and unhindered performance. We want that. Of those actions that follow the pattern of Christ. Therefore, he is the truth, he is the life, for no one else will restore to us the life that is within our hopes. Leo the Great, we are to be inseparably united to him who is, as he himself asserted, the way, the truth, the life, the way that is holy living, the truth of divine doctrine, and the life of eternal happiness. John Chrysostom remarked, truth means no falsehood. Life means death shall not triumph. Way means only through God. We don't just quote the early church fathers to you in the hopes that you'll take History of the Early Church class offered in spring semester on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 2.10 to 3.25. We quote them because they journey like us. We quote them because they testify of a legacy that endures from their time to our time and for the next time. Within, we see hope in one, one person, celebrated by a life lived a certain way that offers the deepest, deepest fulfillment for God's created beings. It's a journey to God. The journey is with Jesus the way by Jesus the truth, and unto Jesus the life. Let me close with a final exhortation. Like Dr. Davies last week, mine is a story of a young man. This young man is called Austin by John Wesley. Born in North Africa at a place called Tagast, he writes in his own autobiography about a pursuit of a self-centered, carnal-oriented life alongside his good friends. When he merely stole some pears with his gang, he says, I loved my fall into sin. The pears were not stolen because they were sweet. It was for the thrill, he said, a mere pear. He had ambitions for a great career in imperial administration, wealth, prestige, naturally. He had a concubine. He had a child by his concubine. He would later admit the single desire that dominated my search for delight was simply to love and to be loved. Then Austin began a journey in search of meaning, truth, by diving into various religious philosophies of his day. Uh, first, there was Manichaeism, which explained evil in the world of darkness and available light to change the individual and thus change society. But Austin realized that evil was not merely things expressed physically, and they offered no solution to his own physical deeds in the flesh. So he was led to Platonism. Oh, not in its old form. There was a new version called Neoplatonism. God was now closer to Austin because the one, the infinite, is down in human experience. Yet the one did not have a name. Appointed to teach in Milan, he heard the preaching of a Christian bishop named Ambrose. 
This preacher took the symbols of the Old Testament, a qualified source of wisdom for ancient philosophers, to point to the New Testament and its message of hope. Ambrose showed a way marked not by self-centeredness, but by faith, by surrender. And so it was one day that Austin was sitting in a garden and he heard a voice, uh, maybe by coincidence, maybe a miracle, take and read. And he opened the Bible to Romans 13, 13 to 14. Not in carousing, not in drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh. This wayward man found the way. He related to the message of truth, and he found a life worth living. The young man that Wesley calls Austin, and I don't know why he does this, is of course Augustine. Saint Augustine, sinner, doctor of the church, giant of the faith, Hippo of Hippo, one of the greatest thinkers of all time, had a rough journey, a messy journey in discovery of the way. But in his book, Confessions, which is an easy read and perfect for summer reading, he testifies that God was there. There were two stories. There was his as he lived this thing, and the whole time God was there waiting, waiting to put Augustine on a trajectory to heaven. What was spoken in an upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, echoes down to us a message of direction and hope. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Concerning our I am verse to today, Augustine wrote, he wrote for us, everyone who wants to attain the truth to rest in eternal life has to start the journey by this way. For Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. That is, by me, Augustine writes, men and women come. To me they come. In me they rest. For when we come to him, we know the Father also, because through an equal, an equal is known. As Christians, y'all know this, we believe the way is available to every person. It is before you an invitation in life An invitation, of course, to life. And in a world that seems to proffer conflicting messages, misleading expectations, and sometimes lies, the promise of truth is a refreshing one. The way, the truth, and the life, they serve one purpose directed first to the Son for all of his disciples, from the Son to the Father, where they affect the most fulfilling effect and the great goal that we can have, union with God, now and forever. Amen.